0: All right, welcome back to another episode of Project Rise, the podcast, a podcast growing conversation around mental health and wellness. This episode is sponsored by the Don't Make It Awkward movement. As we return to our daily routine, indicate how comfortable you are with physical interaction by picking up your color-coordinated bracelet. Visit notawk.com for more information. One dollar of each sale will be donated to mental health charities. That's notawk.com, n-o-t-a-w-k.com. How's it going, guys? I'm Nick Tersini. Alongside me always is Jesse Topley. Jesse, how you doing, buddy?
1: I'm good, man. How are you doing?
0: I've been doing well. We just had a really fun weekend up at your cottage. Did a little, uh, I guess, a little, little R&R. Uh, R&R. R&R. Good, so uh, nice, nice little regroup. But uh, we got an exciting episode for you guys today. Jesse, you want to you wanna pass it over?
1: Yeah, Nick, I'm super excited for the episode today. Um, we have occupational therapist student um, from the University of Ottawa, Boucher. Um, and she's going to be explaining uh, a wide variety of questions that we have for today on kind of just generally what an occupational therapist does and what they bring to the table as a healthcare professional. Carol how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing great thank you for having me how are you?
1: I'm good yeah so I'm, I'm super excited to learn a little bit more about a what an occupational therapist does um, and for myself I actually um, dealt with an occupational therapist after my concussion in university. And, and you know it, it's it's funny because what she provided me and now what I've understood of what an occupational therapist can provide, like an occupational therapist, like it's a huge spectrum of what you guys offer am if am I if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so before we get into all that, why don't you just um, give us a little bit of an explanation on on who you are? um what you're studying um and anything that you want to share before we get started here
2: hi so my name is carol boucher and i have one more year left in my program so i'm an occupational therapy student and occupational therapy is a profession that helps people of all ages uh participate and be able to do the things that they need and have to do after an injury uh, or a, a problem that they they were born with really any any issue that they might have
1: now those issues could those be physical issues cognitive issues um just kind of any issues that they deal with whether they're born with it or from an injury
2: so yes there is a huge variety in occupational therapy uh it's really from child development through uh, mental health, physical health, and finally our aging population as well. Uh, it covers a wide spectrum based on the needs of the individual so they can participate in their occupations. That's
0: awesome. and, and how, how does uh, an occupational therapist kind of differentiate from other types of healthcare professionals, like a, either a psychiatrist or, or anything, a cognitive behavioral therapist? Because I know there's a lot of different categories we can go in uh, maybe a little, how does it, uh, I can't even speak today. How, did the, how is it different than, than these other lines of work?
2: So that's a really great question. So occupational therapy really, really focuses on the occupation. So what the person needs to do or what they want to do, whether it's going to work, taking care of their children, driving to things like leisure and things that they want to be able to do, like playing soccer. Um, playing video games, really things that they need to do, but the injury or the disease or um, the developmental problem that they have is in the way of that.
1: Now, a question kind of to lead into some questions later on, but I just wanted to bring it up just because it popped into my head. With, with COVID going on right now and the stresses and anxiety that that's been causing um, and everything dealing with that, now that those people that have been dealing with so much stress and anxiety because of, you know, uh, work related issues, family issues, being uh, being isolated, having to, you know, uh, not quarantine, I guess, but um, self isolate. Um, and now going back into the real world, I feel like there's going to be a lot of work for OTS. Oh, yeah. helping people cope with that anxiety, cope with that stress, and trying to return to a normal lifestyle. Just touch on that a little bit, but and we'll go into that a little bit more um, uh, afterwards.
2: Certainly. I've even noticed that during our quarantine, we were all so limited. We couldn't do the things that we want to do. We couldn't go to work. We couldn't leave the house. We couldn't do our leisure activities. We were all at home, really. I experienced it myself, even. I wasn't really doing what I wanted to do. So it it affected me personally, my back started to hurt, my mood was down some days, things like that. So it just goes to show you that our occupations, the things that we do, has an impact on our life Mm -hmm. and has an impact on our mental and physical health. And to touch on post-COVID... Um, it, it's been very hard for people with mental health problems and physical health problems because they're just at home. They can't see their healthcare providers. They can't see their loved ones when they're in the hospital, in long-term care facilities. They can't they can't see them. They can't communicate with them. So that obviously has a lot of impact on their mental health.
0: Oh, absolutely, and I think, as Jesse mentioned, I think coming out of you know this self-isolation that we're in, I think we're going to see a massive spike in in just people who may have needed it before and even people who didn't think they would need it coming and reaching out to an OT or reaching out to a healthcare professional because yes it is it's a new normal that we know at this point um and it is creating a lot of mental health implications with people who may have never experienced them before um so there's definitely a a new way in the world now are you noticing that so you're you're a student still are you doing any type of work within clinics yet, or do you have to wait until you're fully graduated to start helping with patients and clients like that?
2: So we actually have to have uh, at least a thousand hours of clinical, yes. um, time to be able to graduate. And I started with my first placement in, uh, in uh, stroke rehab. So it okay. was physical health. I'm waiting to do my mental health, uh, placement, but, uh the 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 prof that taught us what is a mental health occupational therapist so we we really went went through case by case of what will happen in different cases and how an occupational therapist can help there but i still have yet to do my mental health placement which i'm very excited
0: for and and do you notice through and this kind of just popped into my head right now is there a difference obviously the rehab is and the recovery is a little bit different within physical and within mental but do you notice a different attitude within maybe clients that are dealing with more of a mental issue than a physical issue or do you notice that like the physical issues are creating much more of like a mental anxiousness i would say or, or mental health effects within that recovery
2: honestly i'm noticing men- mental health in physical health as well when somebody when somebody's unable to to put their shirt on when somebody's unable to move because of a stroke that has a huge implication on their mental health so i'm noticing that mental health is actually touched on different areas as well and also physical health will influence the person to to get out of bed and and do what they have to do if if they have depression if the, if they're anxious about something if they don't want to get out so I, I, I really find that they touch on each other a
1: lot. Uh, from from personal experience and from um, family experience with uh, so my uncle had a stroke um, that severely affected him and he has uh, lost control over what would it be his left side or right side I believe his lo- I left side left side. Here, Anyways yeah fine. yeah and um, so he not, unable to talk. Um, unable to use his hand and he worked with an occupational therapist to, to help with that. And then I dealt with an occupational therapist when I was at my, you know, roughest point, my concussion and, you know, barely could go to class and, and, and couldn't do all this stuff. And, and it, I feel like you've got to be such a, a caring patient person to be an occupational therapist because you are dealing with people really in their lowest of low. Like when they're at their worst and trying to get them out of their worst, like in that, like I mean, Nick and I had our our um, our episode, I think it was episode four, on uh, on um, hitting rock bottom. I mean, I feel like you deal with a lot of people who hit rock bottom, and the be to have that patience to work with people to get them out of rock bottom, um, and even you know, stroke victims. I know um, a couple of years ago, it was it was understood that if um, if there wasn't any improvement after 6 months then you're just done like that's what you're dealing with but now we understand about stroke victims is that the brain is always changing the brain is always adapting and there's always hope but that process can be extremely slow and one that i feel like as a professional you would have to stay on top of your mental health with the str- like the, the stresses and and you know, dealing with stuff, people that may not want to be helped at that time, that just kind of feel like that there's no hope. Do you feel like that's something that's important in in the in the um, the field of occupational therapy of, of occupational therapists themselves staying on top of their mental health and 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 practicing what they preach, basically.
2: Definitely, that's something very very important. Uh, one of our professors actually shared a a really interesting quote that basically said that. You cannot be exposed to to such pain without getting touched by it. Yeah. So you really have to take care of yourself. You have to also practice what you preach. You, you wanna you wanna tell your clients or patients to um, to have a balanced lifestyle, to practice self care, to practice leisure and p- practice productivity. They can't just be working all day and not taking care of other aspects of their life. So we really have to also practice what we preach when it comes to that and also take care of our mental health when we deal with the hardship of other people.
1: I I, I feel like um, healthcare professionals that deal with this kind of thing, so like an occupational therapist or a social worker or a psychologist, that we see them as individuals that just have their shit together, um, Mm -hmm. that have everything figured out that they, you know, because they're, you know, because they have the advice. They, they they help you find the answer. They're able to lead you to that answer. Um, but it's, you know, it's important to understand when dealing with these people, I guess, you know, as a patient, it's not something you have to worry about. But, you know, occupational therapists are people too. Social workers are people too. And and I think that quote is, is a great quote of when you're dealing with someone with so much pain, that it's impossible to not be affected and, and that you have to take care of of yourself and, and practice what you preach uh, because you know definitely you know even as a personal trainer if I'm gonna train people and I'm gonna try to get them healthier and promote you know um, body health and joint health and and just overall uh, well-being I've got to practice it too like I can't be there you know eating junk food and, <laughs> and not exercising and, and not doing anything so um, that's kind of my long ways of, of saying that you know I the, with the occupational therapist I've, I've met They've all been awesome, and it's just um, like I said, kind and caring people for a profession that definitely takes a lot of patience.
0: Yeah. Not- <laughs> yeah. and it's it's a good point you make, Jesse, because you often when somebody you know picks up and says, "I need to go see an OT" or "I need to see somebody," you know, you go to them expecting answers. You almost think this is my this is my outlet to get the answers, and I'm going to get them no matter what because naturally, at the end of the day, you are a professional. And, and Carol, I'm curious to know because you know I. I mean, growing up an athlete, just kind of growing up where injuries, you know, you got to get over them quick. You got to, you know, kind of naturally you grow to be a little bit stubborn about the recovery and, and in your, in your experience so far with any of your clients, have you noticed that there's kind of a, no, I got this. Like I'm, I'm, I'm better than this. You know, I, I I don't need the help. Um, when in fact you see it from your end that, you know, these clients do need a lot of help that they're not realizing they need right now. Almost that kind of egotistical mind where it's, you know, whatever you tell me, I'm going to do it my own way. Like, do you find you almost need to peel back layers with your clients to really get them to open up and expose the true like recovery that they do need?
2: So I found that to be very different. Uh, There is no straight answer to this because some people will take the help. will accept the help. will be there. They they're just ready and, and they, they're ready for therapy and they want to but other people are more, they, they don't, they don't, they refuse therapy, they don't want to admit that there is a problem. And what professors have actually been teaching us, the first step, you, you can't help help somebody that doesn't want help, that's it. So the first step for it is is that the person need to want, to, to, need to, would want to, sorry, the person <laughs> would want the help. So the person needs to accept that help and be there and, and because at the end of the day, occupational therapy focuses on the person. We, we like to call it client-centered. So that, that means that the client needs to be the active role, to take the active role of that um, change or that improvement or that rehab treatment. Um, we re- we're really there just to guide them and, and to be there for them and to give them evidence-based practice in order for them to achieve their goal. And like Jesse said earlier, after a stroke, it takes months for the person to get better. And after, after that, that's it. So what an occupational therapist will do, they need to to, to basically make sure that that person can, can be human again, can get ready, can, can shower alone, can do the things that they want to do so they don't lose any aspect of their personality.
0: Yeah. So I I see what you're saying. It's a lot of wanting to build that, build that confidence back up in them uh, so they can be the person that they are. And, you know, I I just had this question that came to mind and, and this is, you know, occupational therapists aside, maybe if you want to include, but even your personal perspective and and something that it can help our followers and just anybody, you know, let's say somebody approaches you coming to you for help. um, And like we had mentioned, they, they kind of, refrain from wanting to help obviously, but you notice in them that they do need it. So somebody's pulling back, they're not being honest, but you know, deep down inside, they do have an underlying issue and you want to get to the bottom of it. Any advice that you would give to that person, whether it's like a coach or somebody that, hey, I need to, I notice there's something going on with this person, how do I get them to open up to me? Like, what would you do in your experience?
2: In this case, I would really bring it back to how our culture really accepts weakness and how our culture accepts the idea of mental health and, and asking for help. Really trying to understand why that person doesn't want to ask for help or refusing that. Because most of the time, mental health is really a topic that is not normalized. It's not normal to be at a dinner table and say, I'm, I'm just very anxious today. Uh, I, I feel alone today. I'm sad today but it's so much easier to be like my stomach hurts i'm going to go see a doctor so really just trying to 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 talk to the person as in this is a safe environment this is a, this is a safe discussion that we're having and it's okay to have a mental health problem it's okay to 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 ask for help and it shouldn't be taken in any other way i find and that's from my personal experience ot aside I I feel like mental health is is really an issue up until this day in our culture and yeah. and I hope maybe in the next decade or two I will remember saying this.
1: Absolutely. I think that that's a, a great point there of, you know, for for coaches or for teachers or whoever is, you know, Nick, like you said, trying to approach that person that might have an issue of, you know, it's 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 more than just it's got to be more than just in the moment, what can I do? It's got to be developing a culture of acceptance of, you know, over time, freight start to finish. And Nick, I think you and I are both like that when it comes to being coaches. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I always say with, with my my athletes um, when I was in Kingston is that, you know, I'm going to push you, I'm going to be a hard ass, I'm going to yell at you. But like, you know, I will never, you know, this is if, you, if you're hurt or if you're having a bad day, you can always be, I'm always going to be the first person there um, that you can talk to. You can talk to me about anything, whether it's, you know, uh, family issues, you know, yep. health issues. And, and I'm very um, open about my mental health. And I've always been very open about my mental health. And, I'll you know, I'll share with it just to try and start that conversation um, and to allow people to know that it's OK to have that kind of stuff. But I think, you know, it starts not just by, you know. Unfortunately, there are often other situations where there are those people that we're trying to help that we don't know what to do, but it's, you know, trying to end those situations by just creating a acceptive culture, um, creating a supportive and nurturing culture that that supports talking about mental health. Like you said, like, if you said, oh, you know, like, I broke my arm. No one's going to think twice of, of, of you know, if, if you're sitting at the dinner table and and. And, you know, someone's asking you and you say, oh, yeah, like I, I broke my arm um, a while ago and, you know, and now I kind of, you know, have these issues. It's, you know, that should be the same thing as someone saying, yeah, you know, I, I dealt with depression yeah. a couple years ago. It should be the exact same thing. There shouldn't be, um, you know, the, the conversation of, oh, somebody either, you know, shares too much or shouldn't share or, you know, it's just it's it's a health issue, you know. It should be be treated
0: the same as as everything. And you're right. You both bring up great points to that. Like it's the mental and physical wellness. Like we we just posted something about Robin Williams. um, I think it was yesterday. And, you know, I always look at mental health as you got to look at it the same way you look at any other disease. Like people, yes, suicide is what killed them. But it's mental health is what they dealt with. They died because of mental health. Suicide was just, you know, the cause of death. As the same as saying like somebody suffered from cancer but they died from the heart attack that stemmed from the cancer you know it's important to look at mental health the same way yeah. and, and I'm really curious because what I mean okay so I studied architecture in school and even in high school you know we didn't discuss mental health very often and as an occupational therapist I mean naturally you, you're taking courses to study and understand mental health. How do they speak about mental health and what do they educate um, the students on in your program? I'm just really curious as to how, they go about discussing and educating just mental health in general?
2: So for mental health, they discuss the different um, diseases uh, in the DSM-5. So depression, okay. addiction, uh, and anxiety, bipolar disorder, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we basically understood the, the, um, the scientific aspect of it. physiology and and why certain people feel that way and and things like that and then we would have other um class where it was case studies this person has that is unable to uh deal with his co-workers sometimes they're they're very aggressive when they talk things like that so that's how they they brought brought forth that discussion when it comes to mental health and the main goal in this aspect is to really look what's limiting that person. So for example, the person that's working, that person had tendency to be very aggressive verbally. So the people around them obviously will just look at it, at it, look at it from the outside, that person is swearing, or that person is very rude to me, this, this and that, but that person is actually suffering from a bipolar disorder. So how are you going to help that person be able to, to go about their day dealing with that disorder, dealing with the people around them, dealing with 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 their loved ones or their friends or, or co-workers so they can actually accomplish their daily activities.
1: Now, do you find that, um, and it's something that I definitely um, experience kind of that the victim mentality of you know somebody with mental health, and I apologize if I if I word this incorrectly. Um, that let me just explain it from my situation, so I don't paint a brush over <laughs> everybody with uh, with mental health. With myself and with my depression, I got to a point where I you know I was sad, I was you know miserable, I was I was I was angry, like I was uh, sometimes no emotions at all. But it came to a point where I'm like, I'm the one dealing with depression, so everybody should be helping me. You know, I'm the one that deals with this affliction. You don't Like, you don't have to deal with it, so you should be helping me. But what helped me? Oh, my, sorry, my, my, and fallen over. What helped? What finally got me to that changing or that turning point was when I realized that the change comes from within. I can have all these support network around me. I can have the therapist. I can have the friends. I can have the family. But they're not going to make that change for me. They're going to support me, but. The change comes from with that person. Do you find that that you sometimes uh, encounter people that have this same mentality? and I, and again, for me, I think it, uh, the correct word was the uh, a victim mentality, but I don't want to use that terminology to describe anyone. but would you say that anybody would doubt something like that?
2: certainly. in in the mental health field, the uh, the people basically need so much help that, they, they they'll do anything to get it. So how occupational therapists will, will will deal with a situation like that, there's actually something called well, it's group therapy and it would be like different topics every week, but in a group setting where people feel safe to share what's going on, that way when you're sharing to people that are that may be going through something similar, you're you're getting the help you need, you're getting the help that you're you you just mentioned right now, I feel like I need everybody to help me. So basically it's, it's a, it's a workshop led by an occupational therapist on a specific topic. I'll give you an example. Uh, One example is uh, maybe saying no. So a lot of people who are suffering from mental health problems can't say no to certain things. And if anything that makes the situation worse. So you teach them, healthy ways to say no in a work environment, in a family environment, in something that they can't do that will later help them in a positive way. Do you know what I mean? If if I'm not making sense, I can explain further. Or uh, there's another topic that's called developing feeling vocabulary. So how can you express your feelings in a safe way? Because some people don't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. So again, it would be a group session led by an OT in, uh, in a hospital or a private clinic or a rehab center. And they, they teach people how to, to to articulate the feelings so it, so they can feel better. And yeah. in a group setting, it will basically be in a, in a way where, like you said earlier, like I need the help. And this is, like, targeted towards you.
1: Yeah. And and I think that that's, a, you know, a, an excellent point or an excellent uh, tool that, that you're able to use. Because what I found when I dealt with um, depression in the past was that um, it was hard to find people that understood. Um, so just being in a group setting where there's people that can give you that affirmation that it is okay to feel like that. Is it okay to to feel a certain way to have these certain emotions that you're not the only person that, that deals with that. And then you can kind of move on from that as opposed to just thinking, you know, nobody gets me. um, There is no help out there, but everyone should be trying to help me because I'm dealing with this. Um, So I think that that's a, that's a great um, tool. So is that, is that part of cognitive um, cognitive behavioral therapy? Like, is that one aspect of that?
2: Yes. So okay. in the mental health setting, it would basically be cognitive behavioral therapy. Also, OTs are are able to to do CBT, yes. Um, psychoeducation, and it could be on individual basis or a group setting.
0: Cool. That's really and interesting, and and I, and I really like the you know I like the way these occupations go about things because as exactly as like we're trying to do within the podcast and trying to do just in general, it's growing that conversation. It's trying to, you know, make people not feel so vulnerable when they talk about their emotions, they talk about their feelings, they talk about what they're going through. And these support groups, like, I think they're extremely beneficial. I mean, I wish this kind of stuff was around when I was younger so I could have gotten ahead of the stuff that I was feeling before I really knew what was going on. And I just think that's a testament to how far we've come within within mental health and and how much more organizations and the youth, men and women are involved in this and wanting to grow and wanting to strengthen the communities around them uh, so that this this does become very comfortable and and a very easy conversation to have, um, I guess moving forward. Um, and it just kind of leads to you know, my question of, you know, where do you see yourself going within once you graduate, you know, do you want to focus on the strength and mental health? Do you have kind of a, uh, a focus on like, I want to focus on, you know, bipolar, or I want to focus on anxiety, depression, or in occupational therapists, are you kind of put there to know the g- generalize about all factors, and then you deal with whatever client comes in? Or are you kind of,
1: do you segment yourself to a certain topic? Can we, um, I actually have a, a question just before that, that relates to what Ask you're is that you know nick was kind of talking about um promoting that that positive environment and i think that we have to start understanding that we need to be start being more proactive rather than reactive yeah um and i think rather than waiting for kids to develop mental health issues or waiting for them because i i feel like that's a huge drain on our economy like the fact that we're just like letting these kids develop these things and then helping them. I'm not saying yeah. that we shouldn't help them, but I'm just saying that, like, maybe Get there's a better it. way that we could help with, you know, all these different things of of being proactive rather than reactive. Of And, it, you know, that is something that Nick and I are striving to do with the workshops that we're developing of of just starting that conversation and developing conversation about mental health and all that. But in your opinion, you know, and this is a could be a very, very tough question, but do you have any advice on, on being proactive of of ways that we can, you know, start the conversation or or ways that we can um, kind of prevent those health issues from developing.
2: So I think you guys made this question actually really easy for me. What you guys are doing is a like great example of being proactive and and really opening up the discussion and, and focusing on different healthcare professionals that can touch on that in different ways as well, and really encouraging the topic. So what you guys are doing are, are, is already a, an amazing example. Um, and for, for me, I think that it is important for parents to, 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 to have an environment in the home that demonstrates that it's it's safe to have a mental health problem. It's okay if uh, if the person is um, if if your child is having depression or an anxiety or or just extra worried before a presentation. It's fine. You have to deal with it early because if, mm-hmm. when you deal with it early, you are helping your child. You are or you're helping your uh, your teenager to be able to to, to nourish, to, to become more nourished at school and and and, ha- and have a better future. If you deal with the problem early on, you're helping your child, if anything. So yeah. I, th- I think you guys are, are, are starting a great initiative by trying to talk about it more, trying to normalize it, trying to show you yeah, there's an issue, but there is also a solution.
1: Mm-hmm. But the
2: solution is not, not talking about it.
1: Yeah, so- yeah.
2: I think it's really, really important in the home environment. And it's also important with how we talk about things. Yeah. Um, for example, if, if, if one day, yes, obviously I want to be a mother, but I'm also the kind of person that I love an, a, a clean, organized home. So I, before, obviously I'm guilty about it. I used to say, oh, I'm so CD. I need to keep the house clean. That, that is something that as a future mother or as a mother, we need to kind of educate ourselves a little bit on how to talk about things. Oh, I I I feel so bad today. I'm 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 so bipolar. Things like that are little comments here and there that I think in order to have a safe environment at home, we need to to not use certain words so the kids can 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 be okay when they when there's something wrong.
1: I like I that's a very very interesting point that you bring up there. Just kind of that negative association to those words of like you know, having a, a bad day and be like, oh, I'm, you know, so depressed today. Well, you're not depressed, you're just sad. Um, you know, depression is a whole other issue that is, is so, you know, more complex that we can't just start throwing around those words or, um, you know, I think that that's a, a, a very good point. And the other point that I wanted to bring up that you brought up is that it's not just about educating the kids, but I think it's about educating the parents as well, so that that conversation can be started. Um, It's almost like, you know, in the workplace, you can't do everything, sometimes you have to delegate tasks. You know, Nick and I are trying to create that conversation, but we're not going to be able to start that conversation with each individual kid, but we can have one kid that's going to start it with his friends, or we can have it with one parent that's going to start it with their family and then share that with the rest of the family. So, it's kind of just promoting that, again, that culture that you uh, mentioned earlier, um and and i think that that's i i think that that's an excellent way to to start being again proactive rather than reactive um so now sorry back to Nick's question that's over really <laughs> no my question
0: is irrelevant now like I, that's a way better topic at this point i, I I'm, honestly i'm really fascinated cuz i've never looked at it in the sense of like how often do we hear people throwing around oh i'm so depressed and and i think that's an amazing point i've literally never looked at it that way yeah um and you're right we got to, You know, we got to stop that. There, you know, you don't want kids assuming that just because they're sad they're depressed, or just because they're angry they're bipolar, or because they like things organized they have OCD. You know, how many times do you, you know, a kid's all excited and he can't focus and it's oh I got ADD. Like, well, you probably don't have ADD, but you're just, you know, you're hyper, you're a kid. I mean, it's it's natural. This is going to happen. Um, and and it's amazing point of growing the conversation. And you even said, you know, obviously wanting to be a mother, and we had a conversation in our last interview of, you know especially within the times that we are in now and, and how do you open up that conversation in the household of we're dealing with a global pandemic and, and not to scare your child and not to say, Hey, you know, you can't hug your, your grandparents or your aunt and uncle, when you see them, you know, that's going to freak them out. you think about it as a kid, that'll scare them. Um, and ignoring my past question, cause my last question is irrelevant now. I have a better question. You know, <laughs> how, how do you, <laughs> How do you change the focus on explaining mental health for, to a young adolescent, to a child? How would you discuss that with them without scaring them as to, you know, this is part of the world, not just in COVID, but just mental health in general. Like how do you open up that conversation to, to a child?
2: Already bringing a child because as occupational therapists work with children who have dealt mental problems, already the the mom needs to realize that there is a problem with the with the child because for example if a, if there's an autistic kid, child the sooner they get the help also the therapy the sooner they'll be able to to be able to go to school to be able to be like the normal kids however people define normal yep. but the normal to to that person so accepting Again, brings back to my point earlier. Accepting help is is really would, would be the first thing I would say because bringing the child to therapy early on is really helping that child develop a better future. So, so now accepting help
1: <laughs> with with specifically talking to just children in general or adolescents or or kids at a young age how would you approach that differently than say, you know, teenagers? How would you, what is the word the verbiage that would you, you would use to kind of not scare them and try to simplify it as best as possible for that age group? Because I mean, as a teenager, you can use, you know, if you're speaking to a teenager, you can use, you know, you know, all, you know, depression and, and, you know, anxiety and, and explain it a little bit more scientifically, but how would you go about that explaining it to somebody that doesn't have that understanding?
2: For children, it would really be for them to practice mindfulness. So while they're playing or while they're doing things, you want the child to to, to, to de- develop through that, to develop through play, to develop through... Because they're children, obviously, it needs to be different. Yeah. So I'm not sure if that answers the question, but...
1: Well, the- I, I, I think that does answer the question of just like being... And, and I think Melissa talked about it. Um, In one of our last podcasts, about just being mindful of their emotions, whether they're sad or angry, and how does that make them feel? You know, what and just exploring their emotions, not really labeling them, but just exploring them, being mindful of them, um, and understanding them a little bit more. And
2: helping them really define it and showing them that it's okay, I'm angry. It's okay, you're angry. Mm -hmm. It's okay, you're sad. It's okay, you're happy. Mm hmm.
0: And I think yeah. what was that movie that came out a few where all those cartoon characters were emotions that what was it? Do you remember? It's like I think it was a Disney movie or something. Oh, where,
1: um, Inside Out. I love that movie. Inside Out. That's oh, it. You
0: guys, yeah, you guys know. Yeah, you know great what I'm example. Talking about. And I think that's a great example. But I just think it's simple ways that kids need to understand in a like you said a very simplified version. That's saying, hey, these are these are what we deal with. It's like it's exactly how and this is a little bit off, but how they change like the sex education within elementary school. I think uh, the next step is just changing the mental health education. You know, yes, it's going to be a little bit darker, maybe something that you would hear when you're an adult. But I think kids need to start hearing this at an early age. And we need to find interesting and creative ways for them to, to relate uh, and understand. So they, they know, I mean, and they're not put in situations like we've been through when I was 12 years old and dealing with mental health and not knowing what I'm dealing with. And realizing five years down the road oh it's anxiety a general anxiety disorder so uh, I think that's an amazing initiative and I think that's uh that's exactly what we need in the conversation we need and and Jess if you had any other questions I mean I I I think I'm good I don't know if you had anything else you wanted to add
1: no I mean you know I just I I just want to thank you Carol for coming on and taking time to um explaining you know the overview of of such a large scope of practice that that an OT has um, and the, 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 the opportunity, the benefits that they provide. And, and just, like I said, the, the OTs that I've dealt with, I've had nothing but positive experiences with them. Um, just amazing, caring, patient people. Um, so, you know, thank you for your time and, you know, thank you for, for going into that profession and, and being that person, uh, that's going to help so many, so many people.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Carol, we wish you all the best of luck in your, in your final year of, uh, of university. And, uh, do you have any recommendations? So you're in the Ottawa area. Are there any recommendations maybe of clinics or, or places? I mean, obviously if anybody wants to get in touch with Carol, mention your, your Instagram, obviously we'll tag her when we post the video. Uh, but any questions on OT or, or just any clinics in the Ottawa area that you want to throw out if people want to reach out to you, if they're, they're looking for, for help.
2: I don't have any particular ones okay. in mind right now, but obviously if anybody has any questions as i go and as i I, I do my research i I will be happy to help
0: absolutely so thank you very much carol and like we said we we wish you all the best of luck in your final year and all the best of luck uh in the future and we thank you for coming on the podcast
2: thank you
0: thanks carol all right guys so that's another episode of project rise the podcast and we will see you guys in a couple weeks see you guys